So are you solving a real pain point? Are you really delivering value? And again, as a company, are you being frugal? Are you trying to do more with less people? Are you hiring the best of the best people without having to overpay them? And how will you do that? The only way is by motivating them to do challenging stuff with a very clear vision. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hello, leaders. Welcome back. This is Ledge, and today I am excited to welcome Rohit Aurora. We're talking to him while he's in India across the globe, which is very exciting, although he's normally a New York area guy, which is where I grew up. So if we talk about pizza and falafels and bagels, you'll have to forgive us. Rohit, please introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about us, a little bit about yourself and your work. Yeah, so my name is Rohit Arora. As Led said, I I work and live uh, in New York City. Uh, you know, we I am co-founder of Bistro Credit, which is a small business uh, credit uh, uh, marketplace company in US, and uh, we have been at it for last now 14, 15 years. And I know you have several business interests in and around this business credit space uh, technology is as well as uh, the, the core business there would you expand on that and, and break it out yeah. so i know you have different, different segments and different places that you've grown into uh, the industry yeah so we have two two lines of businesses predominantly we have bistro credit business where we lend money to small businesses across the country uh, most of them are main street businesses, uh, anywhere ranging from the normal neighborhood gas stations to liquor stores to spas, uh, uh, grocery stores, uh, healthcare uh, services, professional services, quite a lot of it uh, across uh, the country. And then we have the other side of the business, what we call Biz2X, where we offer our platform to banks and uh, and other large institutions like payroll companies and uh, accounting firms, uh, uh, payment companies, you know, in the country uh, to create an ecosystem play where, you know, they can use our technology, our data analytics tools to, uh, again, give access to credit to their SMB customer base and also help them to manage their business better. That's always an interesting evolution when... Uh... Uh, a company finds that you have uh, essentially a technology platform that you've homegrown and then it becomes available as a, a product itself. I would say that's a, a dream scenario for, for most entrepreneurs to come up with. And of course, it harkens to the, the granddaddy of all business models like that, which is AWS and say, yes. hey, we built, our, we built our thing on this and now everybody else can pay it, pay us to use it. Uh, talk about, you know, that evolution of 14 years in the business credit and finance space and then becoming essentially a technology services company also 
Uh, that's got to be a whole bunch of interesting stories. Yeah, so I I think that's a very good question. So, you know, when we started the company uh, in 2007, 2008 time period, uh, so our focus and goal was to build a digital platform. Now I'm talking about the era which was pre-fintech, pre-API era. So we are pretty early in this game, which was both good and I won't say bad, but it was a longer journey because the acceptability of things were not there, you know, for initial first three, four years. So they were tough just trying to convince a lot of people, uh, both on the business side as well as financial institutions that, you know, this is the technology of the future and this is how all the access to credit, all the access to SMB businesses will happen. Having said that, you know, it also gave us a lot of time uh, to actually develop these technologies ground up. And obviously, I remember we were one of the first credit marketplace to graduate to AWS in 2012. And we have now a very strong global partnership with them where we actually use their infrastructure play, but at the same point of time also do a lot of co-innovation, a lot of work together. So one of the things that, you know, uh, we, our idea always was to, you know, create the best in class, uh, you know, technology platform, which could help SMB businesses to come online, you know, do the digital origination piece, the whole risk analytics, pricing engines, and the ability for most of these SMB businesses to, you know, get better access to credit and also what we call as virtual CFO services because typically SMB businesses lack uh, any kind of professional help. You know, most of the business owners are very busy running their day-to-day businesses. And while they understand that cash flow is their bloodline or lifeblood of the business, you know, at times it gets very tough for them to manage it in a very robust manner. So we said, why don't we can solve this problem by using or building technology and since SMB businesses are, you know, massive market, you know, 30 million plus, but very asynchronous, unlike consumer lending, it's, you cannot have a cookie cutter, you know, approach with credit score only. So it's all about cash flow. It's about their kind of business they are doing Their Their needs are a little different. Their objectives are different. So we said, how do we design a platform that can take care of multiple products, multiple scenarios? And can, you know, digitize everything, collect data, get smarter over time, you know, do, and as AI came in, as machine learning came in, how we can, you know, uh, you know, get smarter. So over the years, we were, we kept building it. You know, now we are at a stage where we have more than 500 engineers in the company and data scientists. And, uh, you know, so the idea was that uh, if we keep building it, it will get better over time. And that's how it started. And then sometime in 2018, 2019, quite a few banks and payroll companies and payment companies started coming to us and they said, this is great, you know, can we also use the same platform? And our vision always was and has been, and that is that, you know, as we create a platform play and as we create an ecosystem, you know, this should be like, you know, people should be able to use it, you know, whether we are using it for ourselves or it's a white label solution or it's a hybrid model, you know, it should be available. And we saw the power of that you know, during the COVID crisis. So, you know, we got the license to be a PPP lender and the and we eventually, lend, you know, ended as the largest non-bank fintech lender in the country, uh, you know, did close to $6 billion of lending. And at the same point of time, we also white labeled our solution to a large number of banks and credit unions, and they did an, another 6 to $7 billion of lending on that. So during the COVID crisis, it was very clear that everything went digital and then having the right technology, the right infrastructure, you know, we were able to scale up very quickly. We were able to, uh, you know, offer this to a lot of our banking partners. And that really, 
you know brought to home that you know in this day and age it's a convergence you know actually so what amazon has done with aws whether they're doing it for themselves they're doing it for the resellers they're doing it for the merchants or they're doing it for varied companies you know whether it's companies like ours companies like netflix and everybody but it it just makes the ecosystem richer better and smarter at the end of the day i have to ask about your business journey you started a company that does finance and lending types of things right before an economic crisis then you launched and started a company that does the technology and sort of infrastructure <laughs> right before an economic crisis. One yeah. of those, the first one might have been, I would guess, more challenging than the second because you um, you were able to exploit the headwinds of COVID, as you just described. Uh, my suspicion is starting a finance-related business in 2007 uh, probably led to um, maybe some more interesting stories. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I think starting it in late 2007, early 2008, you know, while we were we were seeing a lot of headwinds starting to happen, but we never expected the, uh, you know, the Lehman will collapse and, and we'll have this great financial crisis. And uh, next two years were tough, you know, and I say that when I started the business, I had full crop of air and, uh, you know, and, and, then, and then this enterprise took all that away. I think having said that, I think I think the best businesses and long-term businesses are actually built during a crisis. I've seen that repeatedly because it builds the culture, it builds the ability to navigate through things and, and it also gives you a lot of new opportunities. So a great example is when we had started the business, you know, we were not very, like, like we thought that our product or services will be used by, you know, immigrant businesses because they were underserved, they didn't have a lot of you know, connectivity with the formal financial sector, even if they had, they were hesitant about it. And being a first generation immigrant into the country, we thought, okay, that's the market that we can go after. But when the financial crisis came in, it was like just a huge eye opener that we could get a lot of very good main, mainstream businesses, a lot of banks were withdrawing at that point of time from the lending markets. You know, they at that point of time, there was no digitization. And for next two years, it was tough because, you know, the credit was very tight. But having said that, the investments we made during that point of time really started paying us off in 2011 or 2012 because, you know, by the time the market started coming back and then there was a lot of interest from alternative sources of capital to come into this space. So we were very well placed by then. So I think I think one big lesson that I've learned now over the years is that crisis is something you cannot control. But what you can control is your your action or reaction to that. So I think... The key is that, you know, you have to have a long-term vision. You need to have patience and you need to be true to your mission. So if you can, if you can do all these three things and these are tough, these are tough and you need a lot of luck, you know, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but, but I would say if you can do these three things in a, in a thoughtful manner, then you know, a lot of other things will fall in place, you know, at the end of the day. I think that's very important. You know, that's an important piece that how do you, tackle that uncertainty how do you tackle that you know that ability to just keep going through a lot of very rough and the tough times because and i'm amazed so many times you know you go through a lot of rough and tough times and then you say wow like it was tough and then you see at the other end yeah there's a lot of opportunity and and you cannot take advantage of all that opportunity if you had not slugged it out during during the t tough times because i think there's a very famous general pattern saying that says that the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war, you know, kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I can resonate with that 
on my entrepreneurial journey. Uh, we now share the same barber, I can see. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I imagine that, like many entrepreneurs, you have been one, one common theme I see with successful founders is you're, you're essentially people collectors. The, the team is really, really important there and durable and long-term and they follow you from, from project to project. What's that story been like for you? Yeah, so I think I think in my view and my learning has been that you have to lead from the front. You know, people are not motivated just by money or just by challenge of work. They're also very motivated by your mission. They're also very motivated by your vision as a founder and how true you are to it, you know, and how and how much you care about that, you know, because I think that's what they're looking up to you. If they feel like, you know, you are coming to work every day, if they feel like, you know, you are, uh, are frugal, you're not wasting money, you are investing your money in the right places in the business. That gives them a lot of confidence. And obviously, most of the smart people, you know, for them, money is important. But I think the more important piece is the challenge and the and the platform to create something, to change something and feel empowered by that. So I think that's very important. And, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, either they are too much of a micromanagers or they, or they just like, you know, delegate too fast. So I think that right combination is very important where you have to let your team work let them make mistakes but at the same point of time you have to be on top of things you know as an entrepreneur there is no excuse there are no holidays there is no break you have to be on it 24 by 7 and you need to have that passion because i think passion drives a lot of this stuff you know in startups and that i think is very important because if you don't have passion then you can pay your people as much as you want to do. You can give them as challenging work as possible. But as founders, if you're not passionate about what you are trying to achieve, then everything will fall flat. Actually. Do you see a, a difference between passion for essentially running your business and making your business work and then passion for the service or area that you actually work in? Because I find that that's, that's interesting that I, I never really resonated with the idea that I'm passionate about the end result of the thing. I'm more, I'm passionate about, I love starting and running and growing businesses. You know, a passionate entrepreneur is different than a passionate person about a particular area. And it might be worth looking at that. And I often like to ask other founders how they, how they resonate with that. No, I think I think that's a very good question. So, for uh, the way I think is that what you're what you're passionate about, are you passionate about a greater good? Are you passionate about a greater goal? Because if your goal is to just create a business to make money, then that's not uh, a good like like that's a passion that will be there, but you know there'll be tough times and there will be rough times, and then you will like say you're not making money for a year or two, then you will get totally disheartened. So I think the so the whole passion piece has to be for a greater goal. So when we started the business, me and my brother in New York City, you know, our goal at one level was that okay, how, how we can help a lot of these immigrant businesses, these women-owned businesses and other folks to get better access to credit because they didn't have that. And we said, okay, we, we, we understand technology, we understand finance, how we can help them, you know, with that piece. I think that's important because you will see a lot of, tough times, a lot of high pressure situations, and that's where it's going to help you and your team to navigate through 
know that i think the other thing also is that are you do you enjoy what you do that's important you know like do you really like is it a singular focus for you or is it something like a hobby which like yeah you will do it yeah you know because a lot of people are passionate about hobbies that's nothing wrong but that's not being an entrepreneur you know there's a big difference between a passionate hobbyist and a passionate entrepreneur so i think that is important because it should not be a hobby it it has to be more than a hobby it has to be something that doesn't only help you but also helps the other side you know your customers your ecosystem players and everybody else that's the only way you will be able to set up a successful business you know so it's like what jeff bezos did while he was very passionate about you know setting up an online business but why did he set up in books because you know online you could offer such a big range of books which was impossible to do in a bookstore and then you don't have to go and buy and then drive like 10 miles come back you know and then if to change something again go back and and it was almost impossible to do that so i think he married his passion with the uh, pain points of the customers so i think that's important that what is your passion and what are you trying to solve and does it make sense because if at the end of the day every business has to stand on their own they have to make money eventually they have to be economically viable because you cannot have a business which is which has never made money and then you feel like okay every time you will get money from investors other groups then then it's not real business so so i think that's an important piece also that you know how do you define your goals how do you define the problem set how do you define the fact that whatever you are doing and then i think over time you need to keep raising the bar i think that's important because if you're not raising the bar then it's clearly clearly means that you know if you want to attract the smartest of the people to work with you and have that longevity then you you need to give them that vision and that vision has to be pretty i would say bold and dynamic in nature because that's the only way you will be able to attract very smart people not just to work with you but also to stay with you actually right yeah I, i love that i i think that's that's right i i love to look look at founders with the duration that you have you know 14 years is a long time these days yes and, it is it is you know and i think of i think of you and your brother at the if not the kitchen table you know maybe uh hanging out in the living room and saying we're going to make a business and now what are there some 500 people who work 700 plus people overall yeah 700 yeah. <laughs> and i mean that's just unbelievably different and yeah. uh, the person who sat at the table thinking about that idea and the person today what was what was the the through line there you know what what things made the most difference and and when you look back i like to ask people you know what would you what would you tell the person 14 years ago that you now know uh that you wish you knew then i think i think what we were very clear we wanted to uh, set up our own enterprise we were very focused in that sense so and very disciplined and uh, and had the patience to do it i think if i look back i think there are things that you know like could we have done it faster could we have planned it a little better but that's also double edged sword because we had a lot of competitors who who just tried to grow too fast and then they went out of business so i think is that fine balance that you create i think the key is understanding the trends the technology and and i think keeping the ambition on i think that's important so uh, you know you grow you can get complacent you can just like you know or and my take on that is that you, there's no point in getting complacent the day you don't want to do it just sell it and move on you know because 
you're, you're doing a disservice to all your employees, to all your partners, to all your investors, to all your ecosystem players. If you are not enough motivated to keep doing new things all every day and keep raising the bar. So I think that's an important piece that, you know, when, when we were sitting 14 years back or 15 years back and, and still deciding on this name of even Biz to Credit, you know, you know, our dream was to, you know, set up a, a large global business. And, and I think we remain true to it even today. I think the key what has changed is obviously the scale has changed, the amount of resources have changed, and we have got a lot more experience. So we can now, you know, do things, you know, because experience matters. You know, I would say that, you know, how do you navigate during various crises? How do you react to it? And, and, and as the saying goes, what doesn't kill you makes you tough. So I think I think that's an important piece. And how do you just plan, you know, uh, to navigate risks better? You know, because a lot of people think entrepreneurs are risk takers. In my view, entrepreneurs are the most successful entrepreneurs are are people who can manage risks better than other folks. I think they can anticipate risk. They can take a lot of steps. They don't get frozen when things go bad. They will still keep taking decisions. They'll still be action oriented. They can roll up their sleeves. They can set examples. They can do all that stuff. So I think that's a very important piece when, when you are looking at, you know, that aspect that how do you keep growing your business and how do you keep, you know, keeping everybody motivated? I think that's an important way. Employees, partners, ecosystem players, investors, because that's an important piece because the day you lose that, you know, then that's like either you should move on or you should hand over the reins to somebody else. I love the risk thing because when I look at your business, what you've done is you've taken that ethos of, of risk that you just described and it's available and more visible and transparent because business lending is the business of risk understanding, mitigation oh, yeah. and, and management. And that idea of entrepreneurial risk probably really informed the design of how you went about the problem set and solution. Yeah. So I think, I think that's an important piece because in our business it's very easy to lend money and it's very difficult to get it back. So I think, how do you manage that? You know, how do you manage your pricing? How do you manage your growth? Because in, in a business like ours, you know, and a lot of people have tried doing a GMV kind of a model, just grow, 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 grow. And everybody has got, you know, clobbered in that. So I think I think that's an important piece, having the discipline, the focus, the ability to, you know, come to work every day, keep in, like it's a, like people will be amazed that, you know, how far the incremental growth goes. Like what Einstein said, you know, the most powerful thing in the world is compounding, you know, actually. So every day you come in, you do a bit by bit by bit by bit by bit, you know. Like, like you will be amazed to see that over a year or two, how much progress you have made. And also you, you minimize the risks, you minimize getting accidentally, you know, blowing up stuff because the less you do that, you know, the more you will grow. Otherwise, if you have to just, if things keep blowing up, then all the, all your time goes in just fixing it. And then that just takes a toll on your mental health, your stamina, uh, your teams. So some blow up is good. In my view, if, if you're not blowing up uh, at all, that means that you're not taking any risk. You're not trying new things. You're, you're not pushing the envelope. But at the same point, of time, you also have to manage it in a way that it doesn't, while it can 
hurt the business, create some setback. It should not become something like becomes almost like a death knell. Because if your business shuts down, then you don't have any other opportunity. If your business slows down, the business has some challenges or issues, you can always recover. You know, because it's so it's so interesting. You know, things don't remain same. You know, economic cycles don't remain same. You know, they keep going up and down. But you need to have to be prepared. Like what I say to my team is that, you know, you need to build up your muscles before you can use it. You know, actually. So it's like keep building your muscles, muscles, muscles. And like, you know, like 80% of the time you're doing that. But then 20% of the time you get an opportunity to use it. So if you're prepared, well prepared, then you 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 can go and kill it kind of stuff. So I think that's the important piece in a business like this, where you keep building your risk models, you keep building your collection strategies, you keep building up your origination strategies, you keep t- testing it out, you go incremental almost every day, you learn, you implement, you unlearn, you again implement, but then, you know, you you will be amazed to see that within a year or two, how much progress you have made. I think that's right. I, I, uh, I think about risk in, in my entrepreneurial adventures as you're exactly right. You, you want things, you want to push things enough that they sometimes blow up a little bit. But they're, they're, that's not the problem. The problem is how do you make decisions that limit the blast radius? You know, uh, that, that that's really what matters. And I always thought about it as I evolved that, um, you know, my business ought to be thinking about how to grow the next order of magnitude. In addition to that, I should be thinking about how to make mistakes that only have uh, one order of magnitude less blast radius you know so every zero i add to my business i want to make sure that my uh my risk blast radius stays one zero behind that i don't know if that that resonates with you no that's true that's true because as i said you know if you have some blow ups in the business it's good but but if you have too many blows up blow up then either it will shut down your business or or it will consume so much of your time and effort just to fix those things that you won't be able to focus on growth you won't be able to focus on keeping your team together you won't be able to focus on solving the real pain points the real problems out there you you have two so the the last segment of the show i want to think a little bit about things that should be on you know sort of the future radar and because you have two segments of the world that you speak to a lot let me let me break that up into two so you know biz to credit serves those main street entrepreneurs and, and small business owners. And so, you know, first I would, I would like to know when you, you have that platform of people you can speak to then um, at that level, you know, very important and, and giant components of, of the economy and on, on the small business service side, what should those people have on their, their radar in the next couple of years? I would say, I would say one thing that a lot of small business owners have to do is that, and I think they've been grappling with a lot of inflation, a lot of uh, cost uh, hikes, labor shortages uh, last two years uh, in COVID. I think that's going to change. But I think what's coming is, is is a recession. In my view, it's going to be a long and a mild recession. So, which is good and bad because the good part of that is that it's going to lower the inflation. It's going to hopefully take out the labor shortages uh, out there, you know, which is very, very acute right now. And most of the small businesses are not very automated. So they need people. I think, I think what they have to worry about is that, you know, 
in a recession, the businesses which have very high fixed costs get into a lot of trouble. So how do you, you know, switch your fixed cost into variable cost? How do you, and even if they're fixed costs, you know, if a recession comes, just go back to a landlord and, and renegotiate the rent. You know, you, you, you need to start asking for a lot of things, you know, that will make your fixed costs really go down because that's what kills a lot of businesses during a recession. Uh, and you'll be surprised, and I've seen so much of data, is that most of the businesses actually don't shut down during a recession. They shut down after the recession ends because by the time the recession ends, you know, they're like so depleted with their cash flow. They're so like, you know, done with their, you know, overall, you know, motivation, stamina, that another two or three months after that, they feel like it's not worth it. And then by the time the upturn comes, they're not there anymore. So I think I think that's an important piece. I think the second important piece is every, every SMB business today needs to think about going digital. That's the future. You know, whether you are a restaurant owner, whether you are a gas station owner, whether you are a professional services company, because that's what's going to grow your business. That's where you need to make investments. That's where you need to, you know, really worry about how do you make your business more competitive because uh, COVID has just accelerated that. You know, what would have happened with the customer behavior over the next five to seven years is happening right now. Actually. Absolutely. I, no, I love that. And the fixed cost management it's interesting because a lot of us in the, let's say, professional service, service, technology companies, we've all been able to move away from that yes. in a way that, you know, I mean, brick and mortar is called brick and mortar for a reason. Yes. Retail. Yes. Restaurant. Like you just, you, you do, in fact, have to be there to, uh, <laughs> to do those things, you know, dry yeah. cleaners, gas stations, right? Like physical yeah. infrastructure. Um, none of us, you know, in our world now have to deal with, with any of that. Uh, I have several businesses that own nothing. Yeah. And, you know, right. So uh, I think it is, you know, incumbent on us and the economy to, you know, push to where we can help smaller businesses. So you'll never be able to reduce or eliminate the, the fixed, you know, asset overhead, but you can think carefully about how then again, mitigate that risk and exposure. Uh, same question now for you know, tech company platform provider, you know, folks like that who run businesses that are, you know, um, technology enabled, digital platform integrated, you know, what what should those the folks be thinking about from your perspective? I think I think right now what they should be thinking is that, you know, it has been very good last few years for them with a lot of VC money, investor interest coming in. So I think that's drying up uh, point number one. Point number two is that if we see with all the IPOs that have happened over the last two years of the tech companies, which are loss-making, you know, the public markets have been extremely unforgiving, you know, unforgiving. You know, while they were very forgiving initially when they listed for their IPOs, you know, last one year, they've been hammered. So I think if you're building a tech business, a SaaS business, again, cost matters. You know, your productivity of your people matter. And, and again, are you really solving a pain point? You know, is it a fad or it's a pain point? You know, I think that's that matters because a lot of time, a lot of technology that has got built today is for fad. You know, it's like, okay, you know, you want to do something and, and we'll give you a technology. Like a lot, a lot of social media companies, why they are suffering today is because a lot of that was hobby. You know, the, a lot of that was people were just surfing it and they're clicking on ads and eyeballs and all that kind of stuff. And that's not happening anymore. So I think that's a problem. So are you solving a real pain point? Are you really delivering value and again as a company are you being frugal you know are you trying to do more with less people are you hiring the best of the best people without having to overpay them and how will you do that 
The only way is by motivating them to do challenging stuff with a very clear vision. And also who's your end customer, whether it's a B2B platform or a B2C or a B2B2C platform. I think you need to define that very well uh, in, in your journey because that's a very important piece in the overall journey. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Fantastic uh, insights today, Rohit. Thank you so much, particularly for joining around the world, which means it's the middle of the night for you. So <laughs> really appreciate your, your time. If anybody in the audience is resonating with this stuff, what's the best way or channels to uh, reach out to you? I think I think the best way is to just send me an email at info at It comes to me directly. So I think, yes, absolutely. So this is the CEO of the 700 person firm and he still gets the info at address. Uh, I yeah. feel like that's a story. That's important. <laughs> it's important because that gives me a pulse of all my clients, you know, if they're writing on that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Wow. You must get a lot of email. <laughs> I get a lot of emails. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Okay. Rita, I love that. Thank you uh, Thank so you. much. And uh, we look forward to uh, next conversations. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.